Good afternoon and welcome to the Medical Sports Nutrition Podcast with myself, Dr Andy Matheson. We've got a few articles this week that we're going to run through and the first one is on YouTube videos. So the article is called Evaluation of the Reliability and Educational Quality of YouTube Videos on Sports Nutrition Topics and it was in the Journal of the International Society of Sports Nutrition. First author Kiss, last author Tompa. And this, this was interesting. Uh, obviously, we all know that we're probably not the, the biggest providers of information and help to athletes. Lots of studies that we've we'll all seen and lots of, sort of questionnaire studies we'll have seen have shown that coaches, peers and social media do far more work than we do on that. And whilst I've seen articles really digging into coaching views and seen lots of articles looking at people's personal views and information they get from their peers, I haven't seen many looking at uh, trying to really evaluate the quality of, of the YouTube videos on a sports nutrition topic. Now, instantly seeing this title, my thought was, well, how are you going to assess in a independent and reproducible way the educational quality and reliability on a subject where there is so much disagreement. And the short answer is they, they struggled to do that. So what they did is they used a couple of scoring systems which are commonly used for looking at patient information, discern the global quality score, JAMA criteria, and then they used a separate sports nutrition specific scoring system. Looked at a total of 114 YouTube videos using their YouTube criteria. And what they found was that they felt that the videos on YouTube showed low accuracy and reliability using these, these scoring systems. I, I didn't quite agree with with everything they put out. So, for example, one of the scoring systems was looking at, it is normally used in, in assessing whether or not information is understandable by, by patients, but actually it's not the sort of standard one we would use, certainly in the UK, um, for assessing whether or not something's understandable. There's, there's other more reliable tools the NHS use that focus more on how clear is the language. They were very subjective measures, all the ones they use, in particular the, the nutrition scoring one. So if you're going to be using subjective measures, then the people doing the assessment then need to be independent. However, the people doing the assessments had a vested interest. They were dietitians. So essentially it's an article saying that dietitians watched some videos and disagreed with them which is very predictable because dietitians represent a band quite a siloed band of views on what's the appropriate way to manage sports nutrition so i felt and i felt like that kind of summed up the problem if you like with youtube videos so what they were saying was actually we need more input people working with athletes need to ensure that dietitians are more included in the the videos but the very fact that they found so many flaws and disagreed with so many of the videos i think shows you the problem dietitians 
and a lot of professionals within sports nutrition aren't trusted, aren't relied on, and aren't included by coaches or athletes. And this is this is well known. And one of the reasons is because we're quite judgmental and quite narrow in our views. And so I, I think this this for me this was really interesting and useful and confirmed my view that actually there's a good reason people don't include nutrition professionals in their research in their videos and why we're never in the top three of that list of where people get their information and it's because we don't really want to listen we we've got our narrow view and and we we want to be able to to judge and talk from a position of power uh, and people to to take that away um and until as a profession we we switch to a more holistic approach um more open-minded more un understanding and aware and accepting of the limitations that our science has people will not in involve us in their uh, learning journeys and we will continue to to see studies like this where people disagree with with what's being put out there so interesting again probably not for the reason that that, that they felt the next study was also in the Journal of the International Society of Sports Nutrition. It was called Prevalence and Adverse Effects of Sports-Related Nutritional Supplements, Sports Drinks, Bars and Gels in the Military Before and During COVID-19 Pandemic, the US Military Dietary Supplement Use Study. First also Kapnik and last also Lieberman. And this is a, a large study, questionnaire study by the US military, just looking at the supplement use in the different branches of the armed forces. And this is really just a, sort of an update of what's, what happened over the pandemic pandemic. So 22,000 service personnel, a mixture of Air Force, Army, Navy and Marine Corps and, and just asking them how many people use a nutritional supplement more than once a week and is that changing over the, over the last couple of years. And they reported a, a slight decrease over the, the, the COVID years, and, and they talked about the reasons that that might have been. Once again, the uh, Marine Corps was winning as far as use of nutritional supplements. And I, I think that was the interesting one for me. Why, why was there such a difference between the, the, the different branches? Is it cheaper there? Is it is it provided? Is it a reflection on food? Is it a reflection on how busy they are or deployment? So it would have been nice to know that. The other bit that was quite interesting here was a nice little summary on the adverse effects that they were notified of through this study. And they were they were much as we, we, we would have guessed. They were the diarrhea, the abdo pain, some palpitations, presumably all linked to to caffeine so very reassuring as far as kind of reported side effects obviously that's that's different to are there other impacts of of using high sugar high sweetener nutritional supplements long term on your health so the next study we looked at was on something called the alkaline diet it was called effective eight week alkaline diet and aerobic exercise on body composition aerobic performance and lipid profiles in sedentary women first officer yao chin kaya last officer novak and i thought this was interesting just because i hadn't come across the alkaline diet very much before um and for me 
I did have to do a little reading around it, and actually I found a lovely Weight Watchers summary on it, which was, was quite interesting. I hadn't seen many publications on it, and, and I dug around and looked at a few, but I wasn't wildly impressed with any of them. It's an odd one, this idea of an alkaline diet. For me, it falls into that idea of trying to make sense of very complex body systems in a way that doesn't quite fit up. The, the, the body's very complex. The body's very difficult to understand. Um, even even with everything we can do, we're only still really scratching at our understanding of the, the various body's pathways, whether or not that's the immune system and inflammation, uh, the various impacts of, of hormones and circadian rhythms, or in this case, the ability of the body to maintain pH, um, acid-base regulation, homeostasis, uh, the interactions between the kidneys and and um, the rest of our body function. So the idea that actually what you take in as, as diet is able to completely override these wonderfully complex and difficult regulatory systems doesn't feel quite right. Now that's odd, coming from someone I appreciate who has maybe talked about is it worth taking bicarb prior to doing some exercise I, when I think about my views I say well it, are you are you just hearing what you want to hear because you look at the bicarb data and say oh look it looks as though you might be able to in the short term impact your body's regulatory system in a way that then allows you to perform better although it, it never the physiology of it never quite makes sense but I'm happy to oversimplify there but when it comes to a long-term alkali diet I'm, I'm far more dismissive I should probably be dismissive of both of them and say that we don't really know why bicarb works because we don't really know why people get tired when they're training and then say we don't really know why the alkaline diet works what I did enjoy about this study and where I think a, a, a diet like this is remarkably effective and is one of the reasons why there's so many different diets to suit different people is if you take a group of people and you make them exercise and you make them think about the food they're eating regardless of the mechanism you take to make them think about it they will improve their health and here they improve their body composition they improve their aerobic performance they improve their blood lipid profiles i don't think that's a particular effect of the of the alkaline diet and certainly the way they 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 performed this study there was there was absolutely no way they could have could have shown that it wasn't controlled for for a variety of other diets but it's the fact that with with this they did show an improvement it gives that reflection it gives me that that ability and that confidence when people are coming to me with unusual diets that i don't agree with to say look I don't understand how that diet would work, but that doesn't mean it doesn't work. I don't need to understand it. I just need to know that you're being safe and that the principles your diet are following feel safe. And the principles of the diet and looking at what they were getting them to eat was, was fine here, that the, the alkaline diet looks safe, it looks sensible, it it. it, it essentially it involves avoiding avoiding all processed food and, and eating what looks like a, a lovely diet. So my takeaway, I know a little bit more about the alkaline diet. I'm not sure I agree with 
anything in the descriptions of how it might actually work. But would I sell someone not to do it? No, because looking through it, it's, it seems like a very reasonable way to, to organise the way you're eating and living your life. Right, so the next article was in PLOS Medicine, and it was called A Nutritional Biomarker Score of the Mediterranean Diet in Instant Type 2 Diabetes. Integrated analysis of data from the Medley Randomized Control Trial and the EPIC Intractic Case Cohort Study. First author, Sobleki, last author, Ferreri. Now, this was a, a bit of a follow-up from the original study so i think it was started in 2014 so the epic interact medley trials and this was an aim to get that kind of that that thing that would 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 change the way we view nutritional science and the way we we look at, at diets is there a way to find a blood test a reproducible blood test that says whether or not you are following a diet and whether or not that diet is helping you now as far as whether or not that diet's helping you there's not really anything we use lots of second sort of secondary outcomes but there's other primary endpoints do you have strokes do you die or do you perform better on the day depending on whether or not it's health or sport work we're thinking about there's there's some studies in them but those are hard to do performing on the day you need to get elite athletes involved and get them to buy in even and, and risk their, their final performance which anyone who's driven enough to be an elite athlete won't do certainly as part of a trial blinded trial certainly not and at primary endpoints such as dying having strokes having heart attacks takes a long time and is very difficult to control people's diet for that period so we use blood tests such as HbA1c, lipid profiles, and we're trying to get better and better at figuring out what might be helpful, but we don't really have anything. So as far as that second biomarker, i.e. are diets effective, we're not very far. As far as that first one, are people following the diet? Is there something that would show us whether or not people are keeping to it, i.e. taking away that need for questionnaires that everyone lies on? or having people sit in a little house unable to leave for weeks on end, which is wildly expensive. This was one of the kind of the, the shining hopeful lights for that, this, this nutritional biomarker score. Now, it's, it's a long way off being usable by most people, but it, when they did the initial study, it did show that it seemed to match up with people that kept to the diet. So it's a starter. It was something we thought, wow, okay, hopefully this this is going to work, even though it's a, it's a tricky to do biomarker score. Now, what this was doing was then looking at how well the adherence to the Mediterranean diet links in with type 2 diabetes. And what they found was that objectively assessed adherence to the Mediterranean diet is associated with lower risk of type 2 diabetes. And modestly higher adherence may have the potential to reduce the population burden of type 2 diabetes meaningfully. So what is this what does this mean for us for the moment? Well it means that these objective measures which are a mix of kind of blood carotenoids and fatty acids seem to work for as a measure of adherence to the Mediterranean diet. So interesting work and and hopefully the the, the move forward is going to be towards 
can we make this into a test that is easier to reproduce and then we can start to see some more data more and more data coming out about it right that that's it from me today i hope you've had hope you have a super week hope you managed to get plenty of exercise and i'll catch up with you soon